This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of December the 18th, 2023. Brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Noblesville-based Clancy's Hospitality has been creating and running restaurants in central Indiana and much of the Midwest for nearly 60 years. The names are instantly recognizable for folks who have lived in these parts for a while, including Clancy's Hamburgers, Grindstone Charlie's, Michelangelo's Italian Bistro, Red Rock Roadhouse, and most recently, the Fountain Room at Bottle Works District. But you almost certainly don't know the name Fogelsong. Carl Fogelsong co-founded Clancy's in 1965, and incredibly, it has stayed in the same family for 58 years. It is now on its third generation of leadership, with Carl's grandson Blake spearheading a recent surge of restaurant openings alongside his father, Perry Fogelsong. The story of Clancy's hospitality, in many ways, is the story of the central Indiana restaurant industry. Clancy's hamburgers beat McDonald's to the punch in many areas in the 1960s, but it eventually was overpowered by burger chains. Grindstone Charlie's was on the front end of the casual American trend in the early 1980s, but the rise of national competitors put it at a disadvantage. But Clancy's hospitality is nothing if not scrappy, and it has continued to adjust to new trends while leveraging savvy real estate decisions. It has a successful entry for the food hall trend, actually a version of its original concept, while also embracing high-end dining with the fountain room. So for this week's edition of the IBJ podcast, Perry and Blake Fogelsong join me for a freewheeling conversation about the evolution of Clancy's hospitality over 58 years. It currently counts eight restaurants, two Clancy's hamburgers, two Grindstone Charlies, one Michelangelo's, the Fountain Room, and two next-generation versions of Grindstone Charlie's, Grindstone Public House in Noblesville, and Grindstone on the Monon in Westfield. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Blake Vogelsong, Director of Operations for Clancy Hospitality. Blake, thanks for making time today. Thanks, Mason. Appreciate having me on. And we're joined by Perry Fogelsong, president and CEO of Clancy's Hospitality. Thank you very much, Mason. Glad to be here. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. We're very you close. Too. You too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. How busy is this time of year for you guys? I mean, is this like the Super Bowl of, of restauranting or? This week, especially just private parties, um, all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, December's probably the busiest month of the year for us with private parties and special events and gift card sales. And it's a really... Good month for us. Is it kind of I mean, chaotic <laughs> in the corporate office or is it? Uh, there was running around today. I think we have a, a $4,000 catering order up in Noblesville today. So there was some yeah, running around going up there today a little bit. It's a little bit unusual, <laughs> but in a good way. Yes. We, we like that. We like to be busy. One of the things that is really interesting to me is that Clancy's Hospitality has operated in central Indiana for nearly 60 years. I think, Perry, you said 58. 58, is that right? yeah. It's a three-generation family business. You guys are survivors. How do the Fogel songs see their role in, in the history of this of the restaurant industry in central Indiana? Well, I mean, my father started the company in 1965. Uh, he had a partner out of Frankfurt that 
came with him and they opened Clancy's in Noblesville. As far as I know, it's the first double drive through uh, fast food restaurant in the Midwest. Uh, McDonald's didn't do their first drive through restaurant until 1975. And dad swore that McDonald's executives came and sat in their cars and watched how quickly he could get cars through the drive through lane and that they actually designed their drive through based on what he had put together. So, you know, dad had a, a strong belief in community. He was on the board of directors for the uh, Boys and Girls Club in Noblesville for 35 years, always believed in giving back uh, and being part of the community. That's a big part of our legacy, I think. And we've tried to continue that. Overall, it's been a great ride for our family. We love the communities that uh, we were in. Uh, we have a history of longevity with our employees. I have employees that uh, have been with me 30 to 40 years. A lot of people have literally worked for to the point where they had to move on because they were ill and passed away. So we've evolved a lot over the years, obviously. Mm-hmm. And again, the second Clancy's that we ever opened, 1966, yep, that's uh, still, still open, open to this day, a um, little bit 40 miles north of the Dayton area. Uh, but the original manager there, I think, has been there 30 years, uh, Gary, Gary yep, Strasser. He's not the original, but he's he's been there 30 years, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. But, uh, yeah. And then what's interesting about uh, Clancy's is that like, if we went outside and we rounded up 100 people and asked them, have you been to a Clancy's hospitality restaurant? Most of them would not know what we're asking, as opposed to like like a Psalms restaurant where they put the name Psalms on on half of the stuff that they do, or Patashu, which is very brand conscious. Is is that okay with you guys, or have you started to think a little bit more in terms of like how do we establish the Clancy's brand? Yeah, I think we kind of started doing that a couple of years ago from a marketing perspective in terms of we saw what kind of companies like Cunningham Restaurant Group are doing with all their different brands and. Uh, Hughes Culinary was doing with all the different brands. And we kind of wanted to be, we felt like as we were opening new locations with different concepts, let's brand ourselves as a, as a local restaurant group. And I think we've done a better and better job of that. We just opened a new store downtown Indianapolis, the Fountain Room, and it's doing really well. But we have a, a fast casual spot in uh, the same district. So you can kind of come in, get your $10 topper, or you can come in, get your $90 Wagyu steak. <laughs> <laughs> Both are very important. So take me back to 1965. Clancy's Hospitality, founded in Noblesville by Carl Vogelsong. Perry, your dad. Yep. Tell me about Carl. What kind of guy was he? Uh, My dad was the kind of guy that would not pull any punches. He'd tell you just the way he felt. Very honest. Super hardworking. uh, good, Good dad. Good father. Good family man. He actually was working. He was in the Navy, was in the CBs, got out of the service and went to work for Delco in uh, Kokomo, working the night shift and uh, eventually got the opportunity to buy a small restaurant in Michigan town called The Hut. And he would work nights at his factory job and then he'd go in in the morning and, and open the hut up and work through lunch. And I think they were just open for breakfast and lunch. He'd go home, sleep a couple hours, and be back at work at midnight or 11 o'clock at night. While he was doing the hut, a gentleman by the name of Clarence Catherines came in and saw a 28-year-old guy working his rear end off and said, hey, you know, Clarence owned two restaurants in Frankfurt called uh, Campus Castle. And he said, hey, I I think a location in Noblesville, Indiana would be great. Would you like to be a partner with me? And dad said, absolutely. He sold the hut 
And I, for the first store, I think he was just a third partner. Oh, okay. He, he didn't own for the Claire's, first Clancy's for the hamburgers. very first Clancy's hamburgers. Yeah. He owned sixty some percent. Clarence and, and Dad owned thirty three percent. He obviously eventually bought Clarence out, but then for the second store, he brought his brother in, my uncle Gail, and they opened uh, Clancy's in Sydney, Ohio. Both stores were very successful, and I remember, I remember as a kid, you know, just that was our. We'd go to Clancy's, get hamburgers and French fries, and and my dad had was friends of the uh, Noblesville Daily Ledger editor who had a pool in his backyard. <laughs> We'd get shakes and fries and and hamburgers and go to John Neal's pool and go swimming. And that was that was you know a fun day when you're five or six years old. You know, what's the story? People ask me this all the time. Why they go from Noblesville to Sydney, Ohio? For second store, you know, just because uh, the de- geographical dem- dad and Gail would go out and spend a lot of time driving markets. They always wanted to be, they they wanted towns. I don't know if they even realized what they were looking for, but they wanted towns of a demographic that was smaller. They didn't want to be in major metropolitan areas. They wanted to be in small towns, which was smart because McDonald's wasn't there yet. So they would go out and Sydney was a county seat. They always wanted to be in a county seat. I don't know how they ended up in Sydney, but they ended up there and they bought a couple of old houses and tore them down and they built a second store there. And from that, I mean, we actually probably, I know that at one point had 30 stores and that was when I was probably maybe a junior in high school, a sophomore in high school. And then McDonald's started coming to the markets uh, mid seventies. And when a McDonald's would open up in a town of 15 or 17,000 people, we would very quickly lose, you know, 40%, 40 to 50% of our sales. So that business model kind of shifted away from them at that point. So would Clancy's, would, would you would you sell to McDonald's or would you just close? Well, we didn't close stores for a long time. We held on to a lot of stores probably longer than we should have. But we would try to lease them first so that we'd hold on to the property. Eventually, some of them did sell the real estate so we could fund projects when Grindstone Charlie started in the 80s. That's a right. lot of that real estate was sold to finance future growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1981, you joined the Clancy's corporate team right out of IU, I think. Is that right? I graduated from IU in 81 with a degree in marketing, came to work for dad as a manager trainee, worked in Pendleton, Indiana for the first six months. And uh, then I moved to Noblesville and worked as an assistant manager at Clancy's there for another three or four months. But dad had partnered up with a group called Eggleston Enterprises. And for anybody old school in central Indiana, Eggleston owned the state of Indiana, capital I-N-N, the Stable Influence North and South, the Interurban in Anderson, and they wanted a store in Noblesville. So dad built the Inheritance, I-N-N, capital I-N-N, Inheritance, in Noblesville. That was in the late 70s. Unfortunately, uh, he built that for them, and two or three years later, they went bankrupt. So he was stuck with the real estate, and he tried. To, he was trying to sell it, trying to lease it. And I got out of college, went to work for Clancy's, and this beautiful restaurant was sitting there empty, not being utilized. And I said to Dad and my uncle, I said, I think this is a great opportunity to do a casual theme restaurant. Don't even knew what casual theme restaurants were. <laughs> That's back right. Then. That was like the only one. Like TJ Fridays was. TJ like Fridays still was new. the only game yeah. in town. Yeah. Did you and, guys fly to Atlanta and yeah, like see we the flew to Atlanta at one ever, point? Yeah. Ever because uh, that was Applebee's had five stores. 
We flew to Atlanta. That was their original market. Uh, actually, they're owned by W.R. Grace at that point and uh, toured the stores. And And I, I said to my dad and uncle, I said, well, I've got at this point, I have four restaurants myself. Why should I become an Applebee's franchise? Very arrogant. Why should I become an Applebee's franchisee <laughs> and pay them a franchise fee? It doesn't make sense to me. In hindsight, it probably would have been made sense. But at that point, I thought, no, we're doing great. I don't need to do that. But it was an interesting trip and actually taught me a lot about things we eventually did to streamline our operation and make us better operators at that point. So you have the, the big restaurant space. And so you need to create a casual theme restaurant. We created a casual theme restaurant. And the thought behind Grandson Charlie's at that point is if you looked at the demographics of the Noblesville area, it was a blend of Firestone was the largest employer. It was a blend of factory workers, nicely compensated factory workers, but the harbors had just come into the market as well, North Harbor, South Harbor. So a lot of executives from the Indy area were moving to the suburbs and moving to Noblesville. So I, I wanted to put something together that if you want a nice steak dinner, if you want fresh seafood, you want a prime rib, or if you just want to come in and have a burger, a salad, breaded pork tenderloin's always been one of our big things, that that would appeal to both demographics. And we opened the first Grindstone Charlie's, did pretty well, wasn't like slam dunk home run. Second Grindstone Charlie's was a Clancy's. You ask about some of the properties. It was a Clancy's in Greenwood that wasn't doing well. So we've remodeled it, converted it to second Grindstone Charlie's. And then the third Grindstone Charlie's is still there. It's on Rockville Road. And that was built as a Clancy's in 1970. And we opened uh, that store as a Grindstone Charlie's. And that was the first store that we did a million dollars a year in. And I thought, man, I, I died and gone to heaven. I just did a million dollars in a restaurant. I need to retire. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I knew it wasn't that. <laughs> I'm a genius. Yeah. But then from that point on, we started acquiring properties just for the Grindstone Charlie's growth. And we built that to the point where we had 13 restaurants at, at one point. Is that right? Where were it, uh, Was it all in Indiana or did you have other states? Oh, we were in Indiana, Ohio. We were, again, because the Ohio took place because we had properties over there that we repurposed into the Grindstone Charlie's concept. And actually some of those, we were a Rax franchisee for a bit. Now, if you're familiar oh, with sure. Rax Roast Beef, yeah, right. uh, we had eight Rax restaurants. So those obviously all went away when Rax corporate went away, but we had all those properties still. So we, you know, repurposed some of them into Grindstone Charlie's. We actually had a concept called Red Rock Steakhouse that we did over in uh, Dayton, Ohio. You know, and it was, pretty successful. I'm not going to say it was like the money was rolling in, but it was, it was paying the bills and paying salaries. And, you know, uh, and, uh, again, that the Charlie's concept grew until same thing kind of happened to us. Applebee's and O Charlie's and Texas Roadhouse and <laughs> yeah. all started get, coming into our markets. The best example of that was in Anderson, a very successful restaurant for us. And then they announced the, uh, the horse track and the casino coming in every restaurant in, in, in around build a restaurant. We had six restaurants open up in, in our space in our casual theme space within about six month period. Wow. So we had 1200 additional restaurant seats. So our sales took a hit, you know, in that store, we are coming to the end of a 15 year lease and we just didn't resign. We just decided to move on. So gotcha. what was the origin of the name? Origin of the name started Grindstone City, Michigan, or you want to tell that story? I, 
think the real origin of the name is uh, my dad and one of his fishing buddies were sitting around having cocktails one night, and they came up with it. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I can't give it a better explanation. There's no deep-seated... Cool thing about it. It's just there one is of those. a there is a grindstone city, Michigan. Though we have some, there is there, well, the we original. Have some, we have some artwork on at like at oh, some yeah. of the stores. And the, and the actual the original grind, uh, inheritance for the hostess stand had a two thousand pound uh, grinding you know stone wheel. Oh, okay, right. So I think they kind of said, okay, there's a grindstone mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and somebody said, well, Charlie's kind of goes with that. There was no big, but it just became grindstone and Charlie's. Matter of fact. If I could go back in time, I probably would change the name because everybody always everybody said, confuses it with O Charlie. So. No, not only that, but so you operate Rhinestone Charlies? No, it's not Rhinestone. It's Grindstone. <laughs> <laughs> now this might be apocryphal, but I heard that like your your dad's uh, best friend's name was Charlie. Charlie Howard, yeah. He okay. had an insurance agency, and uh, and and actually, the Charlie probably came from Charlie Howard because that was his fishing buddy. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, he must have felt very good about that. Yeah, I, I, Charlie, I'm sure, probably did. He was a good man. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1990, uh, you debut a new concept, I guess the third major concept, uh, Michelangelo's Italian Bistro. Correct. Also in Noblesville. So what was the concept there? Well, that was a Clancy's again. We're repurposing a building. Uh, we, through a mutual acquaintance, I met a gentleman by the name of Steve Steele, and he was one of the managers that opened the original Olive Garden down, down in Orlando, Florida. So he brought with him uh, all the original recipes that Olive Garden had back in the day for their their dressing. And back then, everything was made from scratch. And Steve said, well, let's put together this Italian bistro. And uh, we did. And it, it was moderately successful for a long time and did a nice business. And actually, Blake... Uh, Worked to remodel that store in 19, so sorry, 2015. 2015. Yeah, we hired. And after uh, the remodel, our sales went up significantly. I mean, it's a very nice little business for us now. Almost parenthetically, in 95 and 96, you opened two locations of Houlihan's. We did. One was downtown uh, on the ground floor of the world's uh, Wonder Parking Garage, one at Keystone of the Crossing. I'm guessing they're franchised we franchise locations. Yeah. I, I went to the Houlihan's at Glendale seemingly yeah, that was a, a thousand store. times yeah. when I was a kid with my dad. Uh, and so that was just a relationship you developed with the Houlihan's guys. Yeah, I, I actually met Andy Gunkler through Steve Delaney, our real estate partner. The great Steve Delaney. Yes, yeah, Mr. Delaney. <laughs> Everyone knows man. Steve. Everybody knows Steve. Yeah, and, uh, one, of, one of the great uh, uh, restaurant real estate brokers. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. But Andy was uh, director of franchising for Houlihan's at that point. And uh, I flew out to Kansas City and really liked the, the quality of the food, the concept. It was more of a scratch-made kitchen than we were doing at Grindstone Charlie's at that point. And uh, we we actually were going to do five stores. We did the first store downtown. It was a great store. I mean, it was scary because uh, Circle Center Mall just opened up. And we opened up, and we weren't doing near the sales volume we were hoping for. But after about six months, it really picked up a convention-driven business. When there was a convention in town, we'd do huge numbers. I think for the – I can't remember the year, the NCAA, when they had the final mm-hmm. game. 2000. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. Florida, think, the Florida yeah, Gators won it, and we, did we like, sponsored the team. Yeah, we we did like $33,000 in a day. and and Went through 100 bottles of Jaeger. Yeah, like 20 <laughs> bottles of Jaeger. It was – 
we were serving everything in, in plastic cups because people were just, we were actually the sponsor of Florida, uh, the Florida team. Yeah. And they right. won the tournament that year. How, so we, how were you the sponsor of the team? They, they assigned of the four teams, they. Like they a restaurant partner. Oh, restaurant right, right, partners. right. That's right. Yeah, and like this is up, your like official restaurant. This is your official we're restaurant. The official fan, the, all the fans so, like, can come to the party. Fans were and, coming to us, and yeah. after the game, obviously, it was just a madhouse. Yeah, but yeah, it was a fun business. The uh, Keystone location, it was a beautiful restaurant. Seated two hundred and fifty. I mean, we seated a lot of people. Didn't have mall access, which actually probably was the death of that restaurant because it was you had to park your car and go in. You couldn't access the mall. If we would have had mall access, we might still still be there, but it, you know. It it ended up not not doing well for us, and we we closed it after ten years, probably ten years, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you uh, you mentioned the Red Rock Roadhouse concept. Now you opened the one in Fishers. We in, did have the one in Fishers. Yeah, yeah. two thousand and three, I think. Yeah. And what was that concept? It was it was supposed to be when I was a kid. I took a trip with my parents, Chevy Chase vacation in the station wagon with me and my sisters, and we drove out to California. And I remember stopping at all these little, off Route 66 or whatever it was, all these little towns. And I tried tacos for the first time. And, you know, we stopped to a place that had a steak that was so big, if you ate the whole thing, they gave it to you for free or whatever. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, that'd be kind of a cool concept if you kind of based it on, you know, your 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 trip. You know, so we had a blend of steaks and Mexican food. And it, it was kind of, it was a cool concept. I don't know if we did a really good job of marketing it, you know, where we never quite got the idea across, but I thought it was a cool restaurant. Blake went there when he was, that was a kid. A, that was like one of the restaurants that like made me fall in love with the restaurant. Was, I remember the opening very vividly. There was a huge silo on the side of the building. The artwork was really cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, we had a fountain in the back, like a big old fountain in the back room. It was a pretty yeah, neat place. Yeah. It was super neat. And that was an old Grinds and Charlie's that we retrofitted It was there. a, it was a Grinds and Charlie's. Uh, but that was only open, what, three or four years probably? It was yeah, a short again, period. I, you know, I knew that restaurant was off to a rocky start when the GM I had slated to open it gave me notice like three weeks before we opened. Whoa. He, his dad had decided to buy a restaurant and he was going to manage a restaurant for his father. So I couldn't fault him for that, mm. but it left us really behind the eight ball right out of the gate. And we opened up very big numbers. And uh, I thought, well, we, we got a good good concept here. It's going to be a home run. And uh, uh, I don't think we had good management, and eventually those numbers just dwindled to the point. I think the other I thing is the, people. I'm sorry, I ahead. think other people kind of thought it might be like a Texas Roadhouse style thing. I think concept, there was some and we didn't have a steak. We didn't have a steak on the menu that was under twenty bucks or ten. Bucks. Sixteen at the time. Sixteen, yeah, yeah. I think, but Texas Roadhouse <laughs> yeah. at that point was selling sirloins for, you know, when you say Red Rock Roadhouse. Oh yeah, they were thinking it was going to be Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going there to get some meat. Yeah, they wanted a cheap steak. It was, more like, and they it was wanted, more like Tex-Mex a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, more Tex-Mexy. And I think you're right. Our cheapest steak was like 16 or 17 bucks, which today didn't sound like much. But back then, it was that's too much money but for we did have we did have peanuts on that. You could we you had, know, peanuts on the table. <laughs> we were trying, could, so it was similar in that way. Me, we like, were trying everything. Karaoke, <laughs> peanuts on the floor. We were pulling out all the stops. But eventually, it just became evident that that was a great piece of real estate. And it made sense to... Cut bait, move on, use the money for uh, downsizing some debt or another location somewhere else. For sure. So uh, here in the early 2000s, basically you and your dad. My dad passed away in 2006. Right. He was uh, pretty much retired, but he never really retired. 
He was in the office every day. And he was inducted in the Indiana Restaurant Hall of Fame in 2003 as well. Yeah, that uh, was, a was a proud awesome. moment in his life. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so does that leave you in charge of the whole thing? Yeah, at that point. I had been in charge of the full service division for a long time. And my dad and uncle kept running the fast food side. But the fast food side kept dwindling and we kept the full eventually the full service side was the majority of our our business gotcha and full service like yeah sit down casual, yeah, yeah, yeah. casual theme sit down right okay let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor this is the ibj podcast taft today's modern law firm with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and our conversation with Perry and Blake Fogelsong of Clancy's Hospitality. So, again, at the time, I think you had about a dozen restaurants, about 2006-ish. Yeah, probably around there. Okay. Uh, And then over uh, the next decade or so, most of them closed. A lot of them did. Yeah. Yeah. And when was that? Uh, was that because of the recession? Was that well? Two thousand eight was obviously a rough, rough year for us. It was a rough year for the economy in general. In two thousand twelve, I bought my uncle Gail out, and you know, uh, you can't buy a majority. He wasn't majority shareholder, but he was. He owned a lot of shares, and it was expensive. So you know, that kind of limited our ability for a while till we kind of built back up after that. And that was a blend of cash and real estate too. So yeah, yeah. You know, it's a mix of. Oh, so it's like a real kind of reorganization. Almost. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of a reorganization in terms of when we bought him out. Gotcha. So we had to wait a couple of years before we looked at expanding again. So in the meantime, you're going to Ball State. <laughs> Blake yes. is going to Ball State. You graduated in 2010 with a bachelor's degree in, according to LinkedIn, marketing and professional selling. Did you immediately go into the family business or did you want to try something else first? Well, originally I sold copiers for three months out of college and that that did not last long. I was like, I called him. I was like, I'm ready to come in the family business. Wow. I think like growing up, obviously I just love the business right from the get go. He talked about a couple concepts, hula hands. There was a cool dome stained glass that went in. I remember walking through the construction sites very early on and just kind of falling in love with that process. Um, I think when I was in kindergarten or something, they asked, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote, I want to own Grants and Charlies and Hoolands. And I've still got that framed on my office wall, which is kind of funny. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's all stick characters. <laughs> and everything's <laughs> spelled wrong. It is, yeah. Charlies <laughs> is spelled with an I or something. Clancy's yeah, spelled with a K. Yes, yeah. So yeah, just fell in love with the business very early on, going out to eat with him. Um, I kind of always say that's kind of my like bachelor's degree in restaurant management is just growing up with the guy who's doing it. Um, you see what goes on and see how um, challenging the business can be at times, but also it's very re- rewarding when things go well, I feel like. Yeah, this is this is this real. I always, when I talk to restaurateurs, I always ask, what are you thinking? I mean, we know that like, four out of five restaurants close within five years. You know, it, it's a chaotic business. There's so many elements of it that you can't control. It, it really takes a special kind of person to to fall in love with that kind of business and, and want to succeed. And, uh, and, and 
And I, I think it's one of those things where you have to love it to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, originally with the Ball State, I, um, uh, for like a TCOM major, I was, I was thinking, I saw what was going on with the company and I was like, Hey, maybe I should try this TCOM thing. I thought I wanted to be an actor. Is that telecommunications. Yeah. Telecommunications yeah. at Ball State, David Letterman uh, school there. Uh, but then changed my major after the first year um, to marketing. Uh, Scott Wise was Scotty's house was a, um, a fraternity brother of mine. He's 15 years older. So back when I was in college, Scotty's was like the growing hot concept. And I saw what he was doing with marketing and restaurants and really thought at the time it was really innovative and fun. Um, so he kind of not necessarily like a mentor, but somebody I looked up to a lot and in college and um, kind of fell back in love with the business, worked uh, in restaurants all through college. And then, like I said, I got out of college, sold copiers for a little bit and tried something else. And I was like, Hey, let's go in the restaurant business and started off just as, as an assistant manager, didn't know anything about restaurant management, had worked at Michelangelo's, our Italian restaurant, starting when I was 15, cooking, serving. So did all that all the way through college. So had a lot of knowledge already, but management had to learn from uh, the ground up. And then, So this uh, is similar to your introduction, Perry, basically. I yeah. mean, was that the idea? Like, I mean, I wanted Blake to eventually come to work for us and- uh, I knew he was miserable selling copiers. I think you were actually living at my house at that point, weren't you? I was, yeah. Right. He was living upstairs <laughs> at, at my house in Noblesville. I was crying and, every night. Yeah, he, <laughs> well, he wasn't that. There's, he, there's no he shame. Came one day, he came home one day and said, I can't do this anymore. There's See, no shame. I lived with my mom for years. Yeah. Yeah, that's about Paying all off he was loans too. So. But he was, he was cold calling people, and so many people were just shutting them. Get out of here. You know, I want, I want a copier. It was for, it not something that I thought he would ever be passionate about, quite frankly. And I knew Blake wanted to come with the company. He'd wanted that since he was a kid. And and I know he's a smart guy. I know he's creative. I know he's got great vision. So it's to my advantage for him to come to work for the company, obviously. And, it, and it's worked out great. So I started off you know, learning the ropes. Yeah, so worked level. at our worked at our Kokomo location as a system manager. And then we had a, a GM role become available at the Rockville Road location, which is still open. Um, so took that over and did that for a couple of years. And it really felt like early on, especially when I started working in stores, I felt like the hospitality that I gave really resonated with people. Um, our sales were trending up over, over and over year, year to year, uh, really when I started taking over Rockville. And then in 2015, I got more into multi-unit. So I ran, at the time we had four Grindstone Charlie still. So I ran Speedway Lafayette. Uh, Rockville Road in Kokomo as like a district manager and kind of the same thing happened. Our sales just started trending up as I was um, uh, took over these stores. And I felt like that early on was a, a nice little confidence boost. You go in and you're making some changes. And um, we made a lot of changes from marketing side, from operations side. And really, um, I felt like that was a nice little booster. That's that amazing like, that it really can come down to that. It came down to management. It I really does was, yeah. in this business, mm -hmm. first and foremost. Right. And then you saw what was going on. What did you think about all that? I knew Blake had positive impact on anywhere he was at. I mean, there was, it was evident. And the thing about Blake compared to other area directors or operations people I've had, Blake was always thinking about how am I going to build sales? What am I going to do to build sales? A lot of operations guys think, well, what, what can I do to cut labor? What can I do to cut food cost? And Blake knows those are important as well, but Blake was always focused on you know, hospitality and marketing and how are we going to get more bodies in the door? He was great at that. So, I, you know, I, I, I knew Blake would be a great, great person long-term to have in the company. Now we get to about 2018. A lot happens all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, really, it was 2017 because we we were actually just driving around Westfield at the time, me and him. And um, I think you had located a parcel of land for sale out in Westfield. Actually, my my wife and I, on Sundays, a lot of times, we'll just go out and do what we call a left, right, left. We have no destination in particular in mind. We'll we'll go out and say, take a left here, take a right there, just see where we go. So we had ended up out in the Grand Park area on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. And I think they had a tournament going on out there with like 40,000 people. or I mean, it was some crazy, busy kids everywhere. And I, I said to my wife, Jill, and then later to Blake, I said, we got to find a place in Westfield. There's There's got to be something. So there was a, a parcel available next to the uh, Hampton Inn. And uh, Blake and I met with Chris Wilkes with uh, – Holiday, holiday properties, properties on that and, and bought that off them. Yep. He said, here's my price. If you use our uh, construction company, I'll, I'll knock some money off that. And he said, I, I want to sell to you because you're a nice compliment to the, the our hotel business. He said, if, if I was selling this to a, a car dealer or a, a tire dealership or something like that, he said, it probably asked twice the, the amount of money for it. Yeah. So we get a good deal on the property and, and that actually, so we had, we'd bought that, but that actually took two years to open once we had bought that property. Going back to 2018, we were already planning on doing the grindstone, the Monon up there, and uh, a space called The Ville, which was the previous restaurant at 101 North 10th, closed. And I remember walking through the site with him. I was like, hey, we're going to do our Westfield property. Can we do two at one time? And I actually didn't want to at the time. I'll, I'll give you credit on that. You're like, no, we're going to do both. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew the, I knew the Noblesville property had a lot of potential and I love historic buildings. I love the character. And to me, that's just, I, I'm, I love the old architecture yeah. and that had a lot of character and had the old tin ceilings. And All right. let me orient people real quick. So this is uh, what is now the grindstone public house. And it's right. in the Castor building, the historic Castor building yep. in downtown Noblesville. And that actually opened in 2018. Yes. So that opened quicker. Yep. Uh, then yeah, that was a quick little remodel project. Because right, it, it, it was existing restaurant kitchen was in place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we hired a great designer to do that, Lori Everett of Fonam and Design, and um, you know, she really modernized the building. But it's like he said, it's got original oak, hundred year old oak floors, ten ceilings, um, and it's definitely a special um, location for us because um, it was kind of the comeback store. You know, we hadn't done anything for a long time, so we uh, wanted to do a concept that was. Um, kind of a play on a Grand Centrale's concept, but more upscale, a um, little bit more chef driven. So we hired an original chef and we have some of the great staples on the Grand Centrale's menu. We have fried green tomatoes, we have tenderloin, we have ribs, um, but it's definitely more of that upscale feel, upscale old fashioned stuff like that. So uh, the team there has just done a great job and sales there have grown every year since we've been open there. So it opened a 110 seat restaurant. There was a little clothing shop that um, was next door um, that closed during COVID. And we actually took that property over during COVID and added on about 80 seats, um, a second level for private event space and uh, retrofitted restrooms and everything like that. So that's that was now it's a 220 seat restaurant that has just become kind of a monster of, for downtown Noblesville, we think. Yeah. And then the uh, the grindstone on the Monon yes. opens on Westfield. And similar, I mean, you, you've kept the grindstone name, but it, again, more kind of, a little bit more of an upscale concept. Yep, yeah, more upscale, more chef driven. Actually, the menus at Public House and Monon are similar, but not identical. There, there's a little spin 
to each one of yeah, them. Yeah, so we have different chefs at each location. So we we kind of the menu is probably sixty to sixty five percent the same. And then we let the chefs kind of have that other thirty percent so they can have some creativity. Um, but yeah, the original building was actually designed. We were going to do a grind, ground up grind some trolleys there, and then it was just it was going to look and feel so much different. We're like, we can't do a grind some trolleys. Let's and we're literally five feet away from the Monon Trail, so we definitely used that name to our advantage. Kind of when we uh, when we bought the property, and the Monon Trail was literally right off the beaten path. Yeah, and you the way you referred to it, I think you said it's kind of like a comeback. Yeah. What what made that what made that possible? How. Well, this guy right here probably. <laughs> this guy signs all the checks, but uh, no, I think we just had the right team in place. Um, like you know, I talked about sales growth and everything like that. I think we finally got to the point where I was like, you know, we've got it. We've got to do something new, you know. And um, we started getting presented some opportunities, and um, I think we just had the right team in place to grow. And that's what it takes. It's not about me and him. It's about team members that want to grow and evolve too, mm-hmm. and do new things. Yeah, but you know, opening a the new restaurant. I mean, that's got to be at least a million dollars. Oh, it's more than that. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. It's been a while since I covered restaurants. Yeah. Yes. But uh, I mean, we, did you need to get loans? Is that essentially? For those projects, and, and I would say it started really with the remodel of Michelangelo's is where kind of our evolution, because that was the first time we worked with Phantomen, and they, they did a very nice job on the uh, remodel, but it turned out being a lot more money that I had originally planned on. And it's like the bills kept stacking up and I was going, Blake, Blake. <laughs> Where's <laughs> we, that money going to come from? We basically self-funded that just <laughs> yeah, through operations. Okay. Same thing with Public House, at least for the first. The first side for, was self-funded. For, for, I was self-funded for the first iteration. But for Monon, obviously, it was a ground-up building with all the site work and everything. It was, it was substantially more expensive. And we found a... a, a Actually, at that point, it was Farmers Farmers Bank, who I was fam- familiar with those guys. And, and, you know, they knew our family. They'd been in town and they'd known my dad and uh, they funded that project. And then eventually, by the time we got to Fountain Room, we had moved to State Bank and they're great partners with, oh, sure. for us as, as well right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I so said, for Monon, we bought the land and then used the land as collateral to build a building. Oh, OK. Right. Gotcha. So we uh, actually, the, the, the family me and my sisters bought the, that ground and we have a lease to, we, we lease it back to Clancy's, but yep, sure. yeah. Uh, 2021, a new Clancy's opens. A first one I'm guessing in decades uh, in the food hall of the bottle works district. What was the story behind that connection? So that was a location that I had just gotten emailed to me. Hendricks commercial properties, um, the developer behind the, the, the whole district there, they were familiar with what we're doing and they were big fans of public house and mowing on. And um, got approached to do that there. I think we were the second group to sign up there, which was kind of exciting. Um, just, oh, wow. That's, I mean, that's a huge food yeah, hall. Yeah, we signed up a year, maybe a year and a half before it opened. We get approached all the time, um, bring Clancy's back, bring Clancy's back. And I think for, for us, like certain people just have such a, a great memory of it. We were like, we're going to open it up and everyone's going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to, and again, this is a different topic, but we've talked about, I would like to do another Clancy's in Noblesville. Oh yeah. And 100%. I think, you know, it would do extremely well. Yeah. But I just can't find the right spot yet. Yeah. So kind of looking. So kind of the, the idea when we were bringing it back was kind of the original Shake Shack, which is out in New York City, um, went out and visited the original Shake Shack, which is like about the same size as what we were working with at Bottle Works. It's like a 700 square foot kiosk out in Madison Square Park. 
and um, saw what they were doing with their menu. Was a huge fan of Danny Meyer and and everything that he's done, and they've done a great job growing that brand. So this was back before Shake Shack was in Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, so we kind of used that as kind of a, a concept of what we're kind of coming up with that and like a steak and shake kind of thing. But really felt there was a lack of kind of that local fast casual burger in the mix, and it's been hugely successful. I think we're second in sales overall in the food hall right now, um, next to Jay's Lobster. So it's, yeah, it's but our average checks a lot less than theirs. So if you look at customer true. count, it's probably <laughs> customer count. I think we're number one in, uh, on okay. that. And then also at the Bottle Works District, you get to the Fountain Room, which which is a I mean pretty significant departure. And the, how did you develop that idea? And first, tell folks what the Fountain Room is. So the Fountain Room is a supper club inspired concept, um, steakhouse seafood. Um, it is located down on Mass Ave next to adjacent to the Bottle Works Hotel. Um, the kind of concept began um, back when we started talking with Hendrix a little bit. Him and I actually did a trip up to Wisconsin, spent two days uh, traveling in Beloit, Milwaukee, Madison, just hitting kind of small town, uh, old style supper clubs um, and kind of getting that feel of what we wanted the concept to be. Originally, we had thought about maybe doing a grindstone public house down there, and then we thought, hey, this is Mass Ave. Let's do a little bit something more unique and chef-driven. Yeah, and for folks who don't know, I mean, this is a uh, this is a, a what used to be a Coca-Cola bottling plant, uh, but was designed uh, during the Art Deco period, yeah. and it is a spectacularly designed uh, building that they have mostly preserved. Yeah, so we we wanted to tie the um, kind of concept around the hotel and. We came up with a name. There's a room inside of the hotel called the Lab Room, which is where they made the Coca-Cola products back in the 1930s. And we didn't really like the name the Lab Room, so our, our graphic design firm uh, threw out the name the Fountain Room, and we're like, this really fits in well, ties in with the district really well. And then um, hired um, Lori and her team of Fonaman Design, and they just kind of knocked that design out of the park. It's definitely like it was our maybe most expensive build out that we've ever done. No question. <laughs> no question about that. It was super pricey, but um, you kind of get what you pay for. And we definitely wanted to come downtown. It was our first restaurant downtown since Hulahan. So we wanted to come downtown with a bang and do something that's going to be long lasting and hopefully a generational type restaurant. That's what we think um, the Fountain Room is. And one best new restaurant in Indianapolis monthly last year, top 25 list this year. Um, have a uh, finally get to the point where we feel like the management team there is really gelling. We have a new chef, Ricky Martinez, um, who's really kind of revamped the menu a little bit right now. And uh, we think he's one of the top five chefs in Indianapolis, done a really good job. Management team there overall has been great. We hired the original um, GM that we have now is uh, Nicola Gabrielle. She was at High Park Steakhouse. So she brought that level of kind of fine dining service that. I mean, him or him or I don't have like we had a, we, you have to kind of go out and find these people if uh, if you don't know how to how to do these things. Yeah, I mean, were you comfortable with this idea going in? I mean, it, it is a different kind of concept than what you're used to. It, yeah, I think it was in our wheelhouse from an American standpoint. I think if we would have, hey, let's go down and do a sushi restaurant, that would have been a little yeah. bit more risky. <laughs> but when we found out Cunningham Restaurant Group was doing Modita inside the hotel, we're like, hey, let's go in and do our upper scale kind of steakhouse supper club American, and it it just worked out really well from from that point of view. And, um, the restaurant is just beautiful. And how has it been doing? Uh, overall? Great. It's got, it's got a good bottom line. Sales are great. Um, we just got a phone with our private events manager for this and we've got it. Uh, we've got two full buyouts for the NBA all-star week coming up and we had another team call. Um, so we're getting all kinds of stuff like that, we which is fun. Philadelphia Eagles last year. Yeah. We did a full buyout mm -hmm. for the Philadelphia Eagles, but so yeah, overall it's been really great and, um, it's open, uh, dinner only throughout the week. And then we serve weekend brunch as well. Mm -hmm. And have you kind of taken a pause since then? Or are there some other 
things that are in the works right now that you can talk about? Nothing we can actually tell you about, but yeah. yes, there are some yeah. other things in the works. Yeah, so we are, we are, we are, we are looking re- actively right now for um, a concept that we've kind of internally been working on, a southern style concept, but we don't have a location picked out for that. That would be great. What have you guys learned with these four, the four newest locations? I mean, what what data are you carrying forward as you kind of plot the future? I think for us, like creating and building concepts that are um, equal part uh, design, food, and hospitality focused. Um, I think design is something that um, not a lot of people think about when they go into a restaurant, but like you mentioned, the fountain room. And I think it's kind of one of those things that keeps people coming back in such a competitive market. So focusing on more chef-driven concepts. But like he said, I think we also have some room to grow the Clancy's brand and bring that back. So, yeah. Yeah. Anything to add I mean, on? it's really, really an incredible evolution. I mean, when you think about, you know, how you started. Well, I think bottom line is we're survivors. We 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 have we do what it takes to the the. I'm not ready ready to retire, and I still need my paycheck. So we got to we got to keep working at it. You know, I I remember the fountain in particular, and we signed that lease, I believe, in the middle of COVID. And I get to give Blake credit because he was a firm believer, and I'm like I was, quite frankly, ready to say I'm not doing this. I'm not yeah. I'm not moving forward. I remember when the riots. So it was a scary time, I and mean, you know. Everything shut down. And I remember when the riots happened downtown, we almost backed out of the food. The, food, almost, the, the food hall was not open yet. And he called me up. He's like, hey, there's riots going down downtown. I don't know if we should do this project. And I was pretty going. I was like, no, we're, it's going to be this is going to be the hottest he, area. Downtown. He was he was he believed in it and he sold it. And, you know, it worked out well. But I was I was a little bit a little bit nervous about it for sure. So, I mean, he's in the room with us. But can you tell me how you feel about the the effect that Blake has had? The uh, there's no question Blake's had a positive effect on the company and, and he's been instrumental in the growth and I've never met anyone that can look at a set of prints and visualize better than Blake. He has a remarkable vision and knows what he wants, you know, and he's, he's a great partner to work with. I worked with my dad for, I was blessed to work with my dad for 30 plus years and it's like I always told, tell Blake, you know, dad and I had our disagreements. There were, you know, times where we were in the same room about ready to kill each other. But at <laughs> the end of the day, we could always go have a, a drink somewhere and leave it at work and resume the next day if necessary. But we worked it out. And Blake and I are the same way. We have disagreements, but we we work it out and we we uh, we, we get along. We have a good time together. So. Spirited conversations is what I call <laughs> What's that? Spirited conversations is what I would call them. Well, I, I, I don't know if I'd characterize them exactly like that, but that's a, that's a nice way of putting it. That's yeah, good. That's a nice way of putting it. And then, Blake, you have the, the advantage of 50-some years in the restaurant business uh, for bouncing ideas and just understanding how things work. Yeah, I think – I mean – that's something that nobody else can nobody else can can touch. Is he's been doing this for forty some years. So, again, um, to be able to bounce ideas off him and get feedback and honest feedback is is definitely a blessing. As you know, hopefully, I continue to move up within the company and we continue to grow as well. He's got maybe a way better palate than me in terms of trying food. He, uh, <laughs> I do have. I'm a super taster. He's a super taster. Isn't I can it? detect. Uh, so yeah, he 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 eats in our restaurants probably more than me. He eats in our restaurants probably three or four times a week. Oh, so, I do. So, yep. and, but he, well, the I public house good. is only a block away. So it's kind of, te- it's yeah. kind of hard not to go there for <laughs> yeah. dinner. That was something that I, something I did with uh, Scott Wise at one point 
because back when he had maybe like 14 or 15 restaurants, I went out with him one day when he was just like doing like drop-ins. And I was like, "What? Okay, show me what it is that you're looking for. And it was interesting is that, I mean, so much of it really was about the hospitality side of it. Yeah. Is that he's watching the eyes of like the hostess when he walks into the door. What, yeah. What is she doing? Does she recognize that he's there immediately? What's yeah. happening with that? Yeah. And he was, he was one of those guys. He was like, make sure the salt and peppers are aligned on the tables and the place yeah. settings are aligned up correct. So that's one thing I learned off Scott too, is like just little details like that, that you want to make sure things are aligned and look proper and clean um, whenever you're coming into a restaurant. And um, Scott's a great guy too. He's actually a, a, one of our real estate guys now. He works for CBRE. So right. he's a, we stay in contact. Well, guys, thank you for running me through this history here. It is a great sort of tour through, I mean, the culinary history of Indianapolis over the last 50 or 60 years. Well, hopefully you'll be able to talk to us again in another 50 or 60. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about any new <laughs> concepts you have uh, <laughs> as soon as you can. We will. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks again to Perry and Blake Vogelsong. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to bring to your attention. First up, IBJ's John Russell has confirmed that Chicago-based Village MD, which operates primary care medical practices, is pulling out of the Indiana market after just six years. As Russell reports, the former high-growth startup is retrenching and has notified thousands of Indiana patients that they'll need to get new doctors, although that isn't always the case. Also in this week's issue, Taylor Wooten explains how the city of Indianapolis is preparing for more severe weather in years to come and devoting more people to the effects of climate change. And Dave Lindquist has the story of a former NFL Skycam crew leader who has launched his own pizzeria featuring Detroit-style pies. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time for the IBJ podcast. A quick programming note, we are taking next week off for the holidays, but we'll be back with a new episode on January the 2nd. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody, and please have a terrific and safe holiday. Take care. Mm-hmm.